Trump the warmonger versus the foreign policy wonks of peace. Part 3. Don't look now, but all the usual suspects are gearing up to sell you the same whopper of a lie about Donald Trump they were telling you back in 2016. By Brian Cates. The foreign policy establishment is preparing to set you up, again, by pushing the same whopper that they told you repeatedly in 2016, that Donald J. Trump is a massive foreign policy dumbass, a bull in a china shop, a swaggering alpha male who would leave destruction and chaos all across the globe in his wake if American voters were actually stupid enough to put him in the White House. Fully understand what I've been leading up to showing you in this very important final column in this three-part series. The foreign policy establishment wonks of the Forever Wars machine are currently rolling out the same massive whopper of a lie they were telling you with one smothering voice before the 2016 election. For those of you in Rio Linda, the title of this series is Sarcasm. These people aren't really the foreign policy establishment wonks of peace. They are and have always ever been the foreign policy arm of the forever wars machine. Trump is not a warmonger. He's the exact opposite of them. Remember that prior to the November 8, 2016 election, Hillary Clinton was the vaunted and lauded foreign policy grand dame ascending to the throne for Her Majesty's long-awaited coronation after the eight-year Obama detour. Donald Trump? Bah! He was just a has-been TV reality show star and an inveterate idiot whom nobody with any intelligence should take seriously when it came to crafting foreign policy or anything else. The foreign policy and fake news smart set were all in unanimous agreement that Trump only ran for president to flaunt and build his brand, and now he was like the dog who had caught the car and had no idea what to do with it. Thankfully, Trump's lunatic run for the Oval Office would end at last when American voters made the only sensible choice and sent Hillary back to the White House with Bill tagging along behind her. She was exactly the person the world needed to handle the important responsibility of U.S. foreign policy from 2017 to 2021 and then after her inevitable re-election from 2021 to January 2025. Now, back then, the critics did have some room to work with on the claim that nobody could take Trump seriously as the head of the U.S. federal government's executive branch that handles U.S. relations with other world leaders and has to deal with foreign hotspots and crises. Trump hadn't been president yet. In 2016, Trump was widely seen as an unknown quantity when it came to dealing with the heads of other nations. Despite the frequent foreign policy missteps of the Obama-Clinton-Kerry era from 2009 to 2016, a basic argument could be 
legitimately advanced, that Trump had no foreign policy experience and so it would be far better for American voters to go with the proven candidate who'd already held high public offices where she had previously tackled various foreign policy issues, even if she had done so quite badly. As Trump rose in the polls and wiped the floor with what was considered the deepest, most talented, and most experienced GOP candidate field in the party's history, incredulous establishment media and foreign policy mavens kept rubbing their eyes in abject disbelief and mounting horror. This could not be actually happening. Oh, but it was. Nothing they said with increasing fervor about the stupidity of handing the Oval Office to Donald Trump as the 2016 election approached was having any impact. Trump kept doing rallies and kept building his support, especially among disaffected traditional Democrat voters in the Blue Wall states, despite the best efforts of fake polling prior to the election to hide the growth of his base. The closer the election got, the more absurd many of the polls became. So, here's where I've been going with all of this, the point, where the point emerges behind this three-columns-long walk down memory lane. Ready? Here it comes. All the usual suspects are getting all their ducks in a row and are passing out their talking points as they prepare to face the threat of a Trump return to the White House. They are now telling you the very same whopper of a lie in the run-up to the 2024 election that they told you back in 2016. They are out to sell you the narrative that any of these people pictured below can be taken more seriously on U.S. foreign policy than that damned idiot, Donald J. Trump, referring to Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, and Ada Hutchinson. Yes, they're getting ready to tell you as the world descends into absolute chaos under slow Joe, Trump is the last person who should be handed the keys to the executive branch. And once the illusion that any of the people pictured here are mounting a serious challenge to Trump for that GOP nomination next year is dispensed with, likely by the end of February 2024, the fake news and the foreign policy establishment will spend the next eight months tirelessly claiming that Joe Biden is some kind of foreign policy genius who has just suffered from some incredibly stubborn bad luck, that's all, so... He deserves a second chance from the voters and re-election. Oh, and that nobody can possibly believe that Donald Trump would do a better job managing U.S. foreign policy relations than Biden would. Only an unserious person would make this claim publicly. I realize when I say this that almost every political commentator out there fully expects Biden to be swapped out for someone else long before the DNC convention in Chicago arrives in August of 2024. But despite all expectations, that might not 
happen. And if they do swap Biden out for someone like Gavin Newsom, Democrats instantly lose on the foreign policy question because Trump has been president before. He does have extensive foreign policy experience as a chief executive, and Newsom doesn't. They're about to tell you all with one smothering, authoritative, and quite expert voice that Donald J. Trump is the last person on earth who should be allowed anywhere near this volatile situation in the Middle East between Israel, Hamas, Gaza, and Iran. He certainly should not, under any circumstances, be handed the responsibility for dealing with the still unfolding Ukraine-Russia fiasco. The entire foreign policy establishment is going to be telling you this repeatedly over the next few months. Only an approved member of their elitist political class, vetted and endorsed by all the right foreign policy wonk think tanks and surrounded by their approved WEF, Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission advisors should be allowed to handle foreign policy crisis hotspots around the globe, you see. This is just common sense and good diplomacy, after all. All the experts are agreed on this. Because listening to the entrenched and embedded globalist foreign policy establishment experts has worked out so swimmingly well for the United States for the past couple of generations, right? Right? Well, actually, no, not at all. When you come to look at the actual results achieved by the foreign policy establishment for the last 100 years, their true nature rises to the surface and decades of clever propaganda will evaporate before your very eyes. You have been told the reason for the founding of the United Nations and the Council on Foreign Relations and these think tank policy centers, such as the Brookings Institute, have as their driving purpose the agenda of maintaining peace and promoting security and stability worldwide. Well, that is a lie. And it is a massive and very consequential lie. The most common excuse proffered for the abysmal results obtained by the international diplomatic class is that they are merely incompetent. They try their best, you see, to avoid all these wars and conflicts around the world, but there are simply too many rogue regimes out there, too many despots for them to stop it all. Hidden throughout many of these wars and conflicts of the past 100 years, written out of the history books and very carefully omitted from all the historical documentaries is the class of billionaires who are behind the international diplomatic class, a mostly hidden class of fantastically wealthy people who not only fund and direct and control the international diplomatic class at the UN and at the Council on Foreign Relations, but also fund and control the international Western news media, the United Nations, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and their hand-picked, selected politicians in power in a host of Western countries, which means they are also in control of a smorgasbord of Western intelligence agencies. Quote, in a late August interview with Laura Ingram for the Fox News Network, 
Trump spoke about the continued rioting and rising crime Americans had been watching with increasing alarm in the blue cities, such as Portland, Oregon, New York City, Seattle, and Chicago. While commenting on this, President Trump said something revealing. He talked about very stupid, rich people that are bankrolling and enabling the violent Marxist and anarchistic groups, as well as the governors, mayors, and district attorneys who are refusing to prosecute him. Quote, the money is coming from some very stupid rich people who have no idea that if their thing ever succeeded, which it won't, they will be thrown to the wolves like you've never seen before, end quote. That looks like a dichotomy, incredibly wealthy people funding Marxist revolutions, but once you dig into it, it's not a contradiction at all, end quote. You may recall I mentioned earlier Trump's massive arms deal with Saudi Arabia, how equipping the Gulf Cooperation Council's member nations with many of the current up-to-date weapons platforms allowed that region of the world at last to guarantee their own security. Which meant it was time for all those Yankees who had arrived in their neighborhood and hung around for about 150 years to go home and stay there. Because all the rulers of those nations in that region know very well who it was who kept creating new rogue regimes and terrorist groups and funding and directing them in attacks to destabilize their region so Western powers could rush in to, quote, help them manage their situation. Whether their help was wanted or not. You understand what I'm telling you? By destroying ISIS after doing that arms deal and empowering the GCC to take over their region's security matters and bringing home the U.S. troops, Trump had robbed the Western powers of their pet excuse to hang around the neighborhood. And there's been an undeclared war neath the surface there for several years now, as Western intelligence agencies attempt to get a new thing going that will allow the reinsertion of U.S. and Western military forces and a shit ton of U.S. taxpayer money so all that war profiteering can be kicked back into high gear. I can't tell you how relieved all these people were that their covert funding of Iran and Hamas finally hit the jackpot on October 7th and is about to pay off for the Forever Wars machine with some very big dividends as this latest, quote, surprise attack by Hamas unfolded in Israel. They have now, we hope, set themselves up for another very profitable decade or two of war profiteering as they fully expect Biden or whoever they will attempt to select in the 2024 election to begin dropping more and more U.S. troops and more U.S. money and resources into the region to promote, quote, peace. This recent development brings me to my next point. The most clever thing the Forever Wars machine did was disguise itself as the peacemakers of the West. Henry A. Kissinger, from his biography, quote, Henry A. Kissinger has been a member of the Council on Foreign Relations since 1956 
and served as a member of its board of directors from 1977 to 1981. He is the 56th Secretary of State of the United States, serving from 1973 to 1977, concurrently holding the position of Assistant to the President for National Security Affairs from 1969 to 1975. After leaving government service, he founded Kissinger Associates, an international consulting firm of which he is the chairman. From 1954 to 1971, Kissinger was a member of the faculty of Harvard University, both in the Department of Government and at the Center for International Affairs, where he was associate director from 1957 to 1960. He served as director of the Harvard International Seminar from 1951 to 1971, and as director of the Harvard Defense Studies Program from 1958 to 1971. I had almost completely forgotten that Henry Kissinger and the Council on Foreign Relations even existed for the four years that Donald Trump was in the White House. Because it became exceedingly clear very early on in Trump's first presidential term that he didn't respect or listen to any of these people. It was one of the biggest reasons the fake news media so relentlessly attacked him as a clueless rube. He wasn't listening to any of the right people as he crafted the U.S. foreign policy around the globe, and we were all endlessly told that this made Trump, quote, dangerous. Well, Trump was dangerous, because he had figured out the forever wars machine long before any of the rest of us had. He knew these people, had studied them extensively and researched them, while he was hobnobbing and partying with all the politicians and celebrities they own and control. He wasn't fooled by any of them, and this scared them all, down to the marrow of their bones. If he saw them all as they truly were, through the clever disguise they've maintained for so long, then he could expose them all. And he did. The faces may change every few years, but the horrible, rotten, terrible, no-good, warmongering advice given by the CFR to world leaders never does. Nobody knew better than Donald J. Trump did that listening to these supposedly top-shelf foreign policy advisors and their arrogantly confident pontifications had led this nation's leaders into, in no particular order, one, funding and egging on both sides in the intractable Israeli-Palestinian crisis for the past several decades, two, surreptitiously backing both sides during the Iran-Iraq war in the 1980s, three, the 9-11 attack and its bungled aftermath, four, two forever wars in Iraq and Afghanistan based first on 9-11 and then on deliberate deceptions about Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destructions, five, an Arab spring that descended into a bloody, monstrous nightmare in Libya and Egypt and Iran, six, getting involved in an absolute genocidal quagmire in Syria that dragged on for years, seven, a CIA-backed coup in Ukraine in 2014 as the culmination of a reckless and ruthless expansion of NATO right to Russia's doorstep, which led directly to this currently ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict, and now eight, 
the blowing up of a new round of terror attacks by Hamas, and retaliations by Israel as the usual suspects continue to send money and arms to both sides. In the modern history of the United States, there has only been one single time I'm aware of where someone outside of this nefarious foreign policy establishment managed to get themselves elected president who was a true and genuine outsider who did not surround himself with the usual foreign policy establishment faces, nor did he listen to the reams of very helpful advice that he had thrown at him by these same dishonest people. Even the sainted Ronald Reagan was not able to escape the nefarious influence of the foreign policy establishment, though he sometimes stuck to his principles and went directly against the advice of his own advisors. This may be why they tried to remove him so early in his first term with an assassination attempt. A key reason for much of the current panic you're seeing as their futile and increasingly frantic attempts to prevent the return of Donald J. Trump to power in the Oval Office repeatedly fail is because they know Trump will quickly reverse all that foreign policy, quote, progress they've managed to achieve around the world under Joe Biden. Trump always worked outside their system or sphere of influence. That's why they often only belatedly found out what he was actually up to when it was too late for them to get in there and sabotage it. How did those Abraham Accords mysteriously come about anyway? I want to briefly touch on what accounted in large part for many of the foreign policy successes that Trump achieved in his four years in office, since you can be assured he'll go right back to doing this again should he win the 2024 election, and the shadow government both knows this and dreads it. Trump achieved much of what he achieved because he didn't trust the entrenched and embedded shadow government bureaucracy in his own State Department, and many times he used special undeclared envoys, such as Mike Pompeo, Jared Kushner, or Rick Grinnell, to handle sensitive diplomatic negotiations, such as the long series of negotiations with multiple Arabic countries that produced the historic Abraham Accords. The same accords that Biden and Antony Blinken and Jake Sullivan have now put into direct jeopardy with their dumbass foreign policy moves, which have included freeing up billions in frozen Iranian assets and sending hundreds of millions of humanitarian aid, quote-unquote, to Gaza. I guarantee if Trump had tried to run the initial contacts with Kim Jong-un, the Abram Accords agenda or the Kosovo-Serbia agreement through the diplo-dunks of the U.S. State Department, the same embedded and entrenched double agents for the shadow government that fomented the Russia collusion hoax and did everything in their power to thwart his foreign policy agenda, would have enthusiastically sabotaged each of these initiatives if they had been given the opportunity to do so. And Trump was very well aware of this which is why the embedded and entrenched agents of the shadow government were denied the opportunity to sabotage anything 
They often found out what Trump had been up to with stuff like the Abraham Accords and the Serbia-Kosovo Treaty when the rest of us did, when the Trump White House decided to reveal it. Which was after it was too late to be stopped. Remember the consternation that unfolded when Mike Pompeo suddenly announced, much to the surprise of the entire State Department, that he'd made several secret trips to Pyongyang. Good times, good times. So, I want to be crystal clear here in imparting this point. Trump was right not to trust the cleverly disguised foreign policy establishment or his own State Department bureaucracy, chock full of hostile double agents just itching for the opportunity to knife him in the back and take credit for having done it once it was safe for them to do so. He knew their true nature, so he often deliberately froze them out of his foreign policy actions by using special envoys to get things done, and Trump was smart to do that. Even many left-leaning Democrats are now at the point in this great awakening where they at least feel comfortable openly stating what everyone already knows. Trump got it right on foreign policy. Barry Weiss, who quit the New York Times because of its censorship, said all these things quite recently. Quote, As a Democrat who has been left homeless, who is now definitely in the center but probably leaning increasingly right, I am left yet again with an appreciation, despite the messenger, of the message of the Trump administration because what those guys did was pretty incredible in hindsight. So much of the work that happened in that Trump administration turns out to have been right, and that's what is so frustrating for me. The work on the border wall? We didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. Turned out it was right. Issuing long-term debt to refinance when rates were at zero, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. A structural peace deal in the Middle East, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. When are we going to stop shooting ourselves in the foot, and when are we going to actually see and take the time to look past who is saying things and actually listen to them word for word? End quote. The evidence has become so overwhelming that Trump was right about so many things that even top fake news propagandists are being forced into the most reluctant of admissions about just to keep what little respectability they have with left with their ever-shrinking audiences. Like poor Jake Tapper here. Quote, CNN host makes surprising admission about Trump. After years of attacking former President Donald Trump, CNN host Jake Tapper came clean and admitted Trump was right all along. End quote. As the months roll by and November 2024 gets closer, expect to see more admissions from surprising places like this one from a former top Facebook executive. Link in the article, Facebook exec admits Trump was right. Hindsight is 2020. 
And it will continue to work in Trump's favor in the coming year, as we see more and more people on the left speaking out without fear, as they have seen that the tide has indeed turned. They would not have dared make such admissions about Trump just one year ago, but they know they can safely make such an admission publicly now. Because we are winning. And so is Trump. The fake policy wonks of peace were wrong about Trump then, and they are wrong about Trump now. From the Council on Foreign Relations, Donald Trump's costly legacy, history will judge the Trump presidency to have been a consequential one, but more for its destructive effects than for its achievements. Hey, CFR, when's your cool article on the costly legacy of Joe Biden's presidency going to be published? Quote, the age of America first, Washington's flawed new foreign policy consensus. November, December 2021. Donald Trump was supposed to be an aberration. A U.S. president whose foreign policy marked a sharp but temporary break from an internationalism that had defined seven decades of U.S. interactions with the world. He saw little value in alliances and spurned multilateral institutions. He eagerly withdrew from existing international agreements such as the Paris Climate Accord and the 2015 Iran nuclear deal and backed away from new ones such as the Trans-Pacific Partnership. He coddled autocrats and trained his ire on the United States Democratic partners, end quote. Yes, Richard, we know. Thanks for pointing that out. This is a big reason Americans love Donald Trump so very freaking much. The foreign policy establishment that lauded and feted Barack Obama before he'd done anything, eagerly thrusting a Nobel Peace Prize into his bony hands, predicted utter failure for Trump before he also had done anything. Don't think they weren't noticing how Trump was embarrassing them and exposing them in that first term. They spent the Donald's entire presidency belittling or mischaracterizing what he was accomplishing because it not only made them look bad, but he was also exposing just how utterly useless most of the international foreign policy jet set actually is. Don't think the Republican conservative side of the foreign policy aisle wasn't playing the same stupid games against Trump that the Council on Foreign Relations was. They were. There was a time when Bill Kristol and Jonah Goldberg were considered thought leaders of the American right. Now these neocons have been utterly exposed. And they have spent the years since Trump left the White House and has been campaigning to return there, urgently warning everyone why this must never happen as they desperately try to memory hold Trump's foreign policy successes when they aren't trying to comically rewrite history. A man has to know his moment. I have friends who think this moment should belong to Ron DeSantis, that Donald Trump is spent and done and so very much over, and it is long past time for us all to move on from him. 
I sincerely and honestly disagree with this assessment of the current moment of our nation's history. This moment in our nation's history belongs to the one man they were so determined to prevent from ever becoming president, they took unprecedented steps to spy on him as a candidate, then subverted him at every turn once he assumed office. They tirelessly and rabidly set out to destroy both him and his family for daring to challenge them. The man who was so embarrassed and exposed all these establishment posers that they engaged in the crime of the century to deny him a second term in the White House so they could install Joe Biden and get everything Trump had, quote, destroyed back to, quote, normal. The man whose return they fear just so goddamn much. They are currently engaging in an unprecedented amount of farcical lawfare trying to stop him, criminally indicting him over and over and trying to tie him up with civil court cases. They do not fear Ron DeSantis, nor would they put out even a quarter of the effort to destroy DeSantis, as they have with Trump. They've put so much time and effort and resources into taking down Trump that their cupboard is now bare. They've deployed all their assets, and their assets are failing. He is still coming right at them. They can't stop him. No. This is Trump's moment. And Trump knows it. God bless you all. And thank you for reading.